0: Did you know The Sleepy Bookshelf has a sibling podcast with all original stories and meditations? It's called Get Sleepy, and I'm sure you'll love it. I even narrate some of the stories. Just search for Get Sleepy in your preferred podcast player. Thank you, and sweet dreams. Good evening. And welcome to the sleepy bookshelf, where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and I'm so glad you chose to be here tonight. This evening we'll be returning to Anne of Avonlea, but before we do, let's give ourselves some time to be present. Lie or sit still, uncrossing your legs and keeping your arms by your sides. Close your eyes now and breathe evenly and naturally. Without changing your breath, move your focus to the air coming into your body. And leaving it. What is happening to your body while you breathe? How does that air feel? Now say quietly to yourself, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. And use this to stay present. If any thoughts are creeping into your mind, just acknowledge them and then let them slide away, returning your focus to your breath and remaining still and calm while I recap on our last episode. Previously, we met Anne outside Green Gables, On a beautiful August day. The 16-year-old was daydreaming as usual when she was interrupted by the arrival of her Jersey cow, Dolly, and a very cross neighbor, Mr. J. A. Harrison, who had recently moved to Avonlea. Anne hadn't met the man yet, who the town had already labeled crank. He angrily confronted Anne about Dolly getting into his oat fields for the third time that week. Anne tried to remain dignified, apologized, and said it wouldn't happen again. Mr. Harrison called her a red-headed snippet. She called him bald, and the two parted ways uncongenially. The next day, Anne was traveling to Carmody with Diana. On their way back, they had been talking about the Improvement Society they were due to establish in Avonlea, when Anne looked up to see a Jersey cow standing in the middle of Mr. Harrison's luscious oat fields. She hopped off her wagon and jumped over the fence to catch the cow. Diana followed, and when they got back to the road, they were met by Mr. Shearer. He was interested in buying Anne's cow, and hastily, she agreed, perturbed by Dolly's shenanigans. But when she got back to Green Gables to check how Dolly had escaped, there was her cow, just where she was supposed to be and Dan realized she had made a terrible mistake. We pick back up tonight with Anne on her way to Mr. Harrison to apologize for selling his cow. So just lie back and relax as I turn to the next pages of Anne of Avonlea. Chapter 3. Mr. Harrison at Home Mr. Harrison's house was an old-fashioned, low-eaved, whitewashed structure set against a thick spruce grove. Mr. Harrison himself was sitting on his vine-shaded veranda in his shirt-sleeves enjoying his evening pipe. When he realized who was coming up the path, he sprang suddenly to his feet, bolted into the house, and shut the door. This was merely the uncomfortable result of his surprise, mingled with a good deal of shame over his outburst of temper the day before, but it nearly swept the remnant of her courage from Anne's heart. Oh, if he's so cross now, what will he be when he hears what I've done? She reflected miserably as she rapped at the door. But Mr. Harrison opened it, smiling sheepishly, and invited her to enter in a tone quite mild and friendly, if somewhat nervous. He had laid aside his pipe and donned his coat, He offered Anne a very dusty chair, very politely, and her reception would have passed off pleasantly enough if it had not been for the telltale of a parrot who was peering through the bars of his cage with wicked golden eyes. No sooner had Anne seated herself than Ginger exclaimed, "'Bless my soul, what's that red-headed snippet coming here for?' would have been hard to say whose face was the redder, Mr. Harrison's or Anne's. Oh, don't you mind that parrot, said Mr. Harrison, casting a furious glance at Ginger. He's always talking nonsense. I got him from my brother who was a sailor. Our sailors don't always use the choicest language, and parrots are very imitative birds. So I should think said poor Anne, the remembrance of her errand quelling her resentment. She couldn't afford to snub Mr. Harrison under the circumstances, that was certain. When you had just sold a man's Jersey cow offhand without his knowledge or consent, you must not mind if his parrot repeated uncomplimentary things. Nevertheless, the red-headed snippet "'was not quite so meek as she might otherwise have been. "'I've come to confess something to you, Mr. Harrison,' she said resolutely. "'It's... it's about that Jersey cow.' "'Bless my soul,' said Mr. Harrison nervously. "'Has she gone and broken into my oats again?' "'Well, never mind. Never mind if she has. It's no difference.' Not at all. I was too hasty yesterday, that's a fact. Never mind if she has. Oh, if it were only that, sighed Anne. But it's ten times worse. Bless my soul, do you mean she's got into my wheat? No, no, not the wheat. But then it's the cabbages. She's broken into my cabbages that I was raising for exhibition, eh? It's not the cabbages, Mr. Harrison. I'll tell you everything. That is what I came for. But please don't interrupt me. makes me so nervous. Just let me tell my story and don't say anything till I get through. And then no doubt you'll say plenty, Anne concluded, but in thought only. I won't say another word, said Mr. Harrison, and he didn't. But Ginger was not bound by any contract of silence and kept ejaculating red-headed snippet at intervals till Anne was quite wild. I shut my jersey cow in our pen yesterday. This morning I went to Carmody, and when I came back, I saw a Jersey cow in your ropes. Diana and I chased her out, and you can't imagine what a hard time we had. I was so dreadfully wet and tired and vexed, and Mr. Shearer came by that very minute and offered to buy the cow. I sold her to him on the spot. Twenty dollars. It was wrong of me. I should have waited and consulted Marilla, of course, but I'm dreadfully given to doing things without thinking. Everybody who knows me will tell you that. Mr. Shearer took the cow right away to ship her on the afternoon train. Red-headed snippet, quoted Ginger in a tone of profound contempt. At this point, Mr. Harrison arose, and with an expression that would have struck terror into any bird but a parrot, carried Ginger's cage into an adjoining room and shut the door. Ginger shrieked swore and otherwise conducted himself in keeping with his reputation, but finding himself alone, relapsed into sulky silence. "'Excuse me and go on,' said Mr. Harrison, sitting down again. "'My brother the sailor never taught that bird any manners.' "'I went home, and after tea I went out to the milking pen, Mr. Harrison.' Anne leaned forward, clasping her hands with her old, childish gesture, while her big grey eyes gazed imploringly into Mr. Harrison's embarrassed face. "'I found my cow still shut up in the pen. It was your cow I had sold to Mr. Shearer.' "'Bless my soul,' said Mr. Harrison." in blank amazement at this unlooked-for conclusion. "'What a very extraordinary thing!' "'Oh, it isn't the least extraordinary that I should be getting myself and other people into scrapes,' said Anne mournfully. "'I'm noted for that. You might suppose I'd have grown out of it by this time. I'll be seventeen next March, but it seems that I haven't, Mr. Harrison.' Is it too much to hope that you'll forgive me? I'm afraid it's too late to get your cow back, but here is the money for her. Or you can have mine in exchange if you'd rather. She's a very good cow. I can't express how sorry I am for it all. Oh, tut-tut, said Mr. Harrison briskly. Don't say another word about it, miss. It's of no consequence. No consequence whatever accidents will happen too hasty myself sometimes miss far too hasty can't help speaking out just what i think and folks must take me as they find me that cow been in my cabbages now <sighs> but never mind she wasn't so it's all right think i'd rather have your cow in exchange since you want to be rid of her oh, thank you mr harrison i'm so glad you're not vexed. I was afraid you would be, and I suppose you were scared to death to come here and tell me, after the fuss I made yesterday, who? Huh? You mustn't mind me. I'm a terrible outspoken old fellow, that's all. Awful apt to tell the truth no matter if it's a bit plain. So is Mrs. Lynde, said Anne, before she could prevent herself. Who? Mrs. Lynde? Don't you tell me I'm like that old gossip said Mr. Harrison irritably. Not, not a bit. What have you got in that box? Cake, said Anne archly. In her relief at Mr. Harrison's unexpected amiability, her spirits soared upward, featherlight. light. brought it over for you. thought perhaps you didn't have cake very often. Why don't? That's a fact. I'm mighty fond of it, too. I'm much obliged to you. Looks good on top. Hope it's good all the way through. it is, said Anne, gaily confident. I have made cakes in my time that were not, as Mrs. Allen could tell you, but this one is all right. I made it for the Improvement Society, but I can make another for them. Well, I'll tell you what, Miss. You must help me eat it. I'll put the kettle on. We can have a cup of tea. How will that do? Will you let me make the tea? said Anne dubiously. Mr. Harrison chuckled. Oh, I see you haven't much confidence in my ability to make tea. You're wrong. I can brew up as good a jorum of tea as you ever drank. But go ahead yourself. Fortunately, it rained last Sunday, so there's plenty of clean dishes. Anne hopped briskly up and went to work. She washed the teapot in several waters before she put the tea to steep. Then she swept the stove and set the table, bringing the dishes out of the pantry. The state of that pantry horrified Anne, but she wisely said nothing. Mr. Harrison told her where to find the bread and butter and a can of peaches. Anne adorned the table with a bouquet from the garden and shut her eyes to the stains on the tablecloth. Soon the tea was ready, and Anne found herself sitting opposite Mr. Harrison at his own table, pouring his tea for him and chatting freely to him about her school and friends and plans. She could hardly believe the evidence of her senses. Mr. Harrison had brought Ginger back, averring that the poor bird would be lonesome, and Anne, feeling that she could forgive everybody and everything, offered him a walnut. But Ginger's feelings had been grievously hurt, and he rejected all overtures of friendship. He sat moodily on his perch, and ruffled his feathers up until he looked like a mere ball of green and gold. Why do you call him Ginger? asked Anne, who liked appropriate names, and thought Ginger accorded not at all with such a gorgeous plumage. My brother the sailor named him. Maybe it had some reference to his temper. Think a lot of that bird, though. You'd be surprised if you knew how much. He has his faults, of course. That bird has cost me a good deal one way and another. Some people object to his swearing habits, but he can't be broken of them. I've tried. Other people have tried. Some folks have prejudices against parrots. Silly, ain't it? I like them myself. Ginger's a lot of company to me. Nothing would induce me to give that bird up. Nothing in the world, miss. Mr. Harrison flung the last sentence at Anne as explosively as if he suspected her of some latent design of persuading him to give Ginger up. Anne, however, was beginning to like the queer, fussy, fidgety little man, and before the meal was over, they were quite good friends. Mr. Harrison found out about the Improvement Society, and was disposed to approve of it. That's right. Go ahead. There's lots of room for improvement in this settlement, and in the people, too. Oh, I don't know, flashed Anne. To herself, or to her particular cronies, she might admit that there were some small imperfections, easily removable in Avonlea, and its inhabitants. But to hear a practical outsider like Mr. Harrison saying it is an entirely different thing. I think Avonlea is a lovely place, and the people in it are very nice, too. I guess you've got a spice of temper, commented Mr. Harrison, surveying the flushed cheeks and indignant eyes opposite him. Goes with hair like yours, I reckon, Avanley is a pretty decent place, or I wouldn't have located here. But I suppose even you will admit that it has some faults. I like it all the better for them, said loyal Anne. I don't like places or people either that haven't any faults. I think a truly perfect person would be very uninteresting. Mrs. Milton White says she's never met a perfect person, but she's heard enough about one her husband's first wife. "'Don't you think it must be very uncomfortable to be married to a man whose first wife was perfect?' would be more uncomfortable to be married to the perfect wife,' declared Mr. Harrison with a sudden and inexplicable warmth. When tea was over, Anne insisted on washing the dishes, although Mr. Harrison assured her that there were enough in the house to do for weeks yet. She would dearly have loved to sweep the floor also, but no broom was visible. She did not like to ask where it was, for fear there wasn't one at all. You might run across and talk to me once in a while, suggested Mr. Harrison when she was leaving. Doesn't far." Folks ought to be neighbourly. Kind of uh, interested in that society of yours. Seems to me there'll be some fun in it. Who are you going to tackle first? We're not going to meddle with people. It is only places we mean to improve, said Anne in a dignified tone. She rather suspected that Mr. Harrison was making fun of the project. When she had gone, Mr. Harrison watched her from the window, a lithe, girlish shape, tripping lightheartedly across the fields in the sunset afterglow. I'm a crusty, lonesome, crabbed old chap, he said aloud. There's something about that little girl that makes me feel young again. It's such a pleasant sensation like to have it repeated once in a while. Red-headed snippet, (laughs) croaked Ginger mockingly. Mr. Harrison shook his fist at the parrot. You a ornery bird, he muttered. I almost wish I'd wrung your neck when my brother the sailor brought you home. Will you ever be done with getting me into trouble? Anne ran home blithely, and recounted her adventures to Marilla, who had been not a little alarmed by her long absence and was on the point of starting out to look for her. It's a pretty good world after all, isn't it, Marilla? concluded Anne happily. Mrs. Lynde was complaining the other day that it wasn't much of a world. She said whenever you looked forward to anything pleasant, you were sure to be more or less disappointed. Perhaps that is true. But there is a good side to it, too. The bad things don't always come up to your expectations either. They nearly always turn out ever so much better than you think. I looked forward to a dreadfully unpleasant experience when I went over to Mr. Harrison's tonight, and instead, he was quite kind. And I had almost a nice time. I think we're going to be real good friends if we make plenty of allowances for each other, and everything has turned out for the best. But all the same, Marilla, I shall certainly never again sell a cow before making sure to whom she belongs. And I do not like parrots. Chapter 4. Different Opinions One evening at sunset, Jane Andrews, Gilbert Bly, and Anne Shirley were lingering by the fence in the shadow of gently swaying spruce boughs, where a woodcut known as the Birch Path joined the main road. Jane had been up to spend the afternoon with Anne, who walked part of the way home with her. At the fence, they met Gilbert and all three were now talking about the fateful morrow, for that morrow was the first of September, and the schools would open. Jane would go to Newbridge, and Gilbert to White Sands. "'You both have the advantage of me,' sighed Anne. "'You're going to teach children who don't know you, but I have to teach my old schoolmates.' And Mrs. Lynn said she's afraid they won't respect me, as they would a stranger, unless I'm very cross from the first. I don't believe a teacher should be cross. Oh, it seems to me such a responsibility. I guess we'll get on all right, said Jane comfortably. Jane was not troubled by any aspirations to be an influence for good. She meant to earn her salary fairly please the trustees and get her name on the school inspector's roll of honor. Further ambitions, Jane had none. The main thing will be to keep order, and a teacher has to be a little cross to do that. If my pupils won't do as I tell them, I shall punish them. How? Give them a good whipping, of course. Oh, Jane, you wouldn't, said Anne, shocked. Jane, you couldn't. Indeed, I could, and would, if they deserved it, said Jane decidedly. I could never whip a child, said Anne with equal decision. I don't believe in it at all. Miss Stacy never whipped any of us, and she had perfect order, and Mr. Phillips was always whipping and had no order at all. No, If I can't get along without whipping, I shall not try to teach school. There are better ways of managing. I shall try to win my pupils' affections, and then they will want to do what I tell them." But suppose they don't," said practical Jane. I wouldn't whip them anyhow. I'm sure it wouldn't do any good. don't whip your pupils, Jane dear, no matter what they do. "'What do you think about it, Gilbert?' demanded Jane. "'Don't you think there are some children who really need a whipping now and then? Don't you think it's a cruel, barbarous thing to whip a child, any child?' exclaimed Anne, her face flushing with earnestness. "'Well,' said Gilbert slowly, torn between his real convictions, and his wish to measure up to Anne's ideal. There's something to be said on both sides. I don't believe in whipping children much. I think, as you say, Anne, that there are better ways of managing as a rule, and that corporal punishment should be a last resort. On the other hand, as Jane says, I believe there is an occasional child who can't be influenced in any other way, and who, in short, needs a whipping and will be improved by it. Corporal punishment as a last resort is to be my rule. Gilbert, having tried to please both sides, succeeded, as is usual and eminently right in pleasing neither. Jane tossed her head. I'll whip my pupils when they're naughty. It's the shortest and easiest way of convincing them. Anne gave Gilbert a disappointed glance. I shall never whip a child, she repeated firmly. I feel sure it isn't either right or necessary. Suppose a boy sourced you back when you told him to do something, said Jane. I'd keep him in after school and talk kindly and firmly to him, said Anne. There is some good in every person if you can find it. It is a teacher's duty to find it and develop it. That's what our school management professor at Queen's told us, you know. Do you suppose you could find any good in a child by whipping him? It's far more important to influence the children aright than it is even to teach them the three R's, Professor Rennie says. But the inspector examines them in the three R's, mind you, and he won't give you a good report if they don't come up to his standard protested Jane. "'I'd rather have my pupils love me and look back to me in after years as the real helper than be on the roll of honor," asserted Anne decidedly. "'Wouldn't you punish children at all when they misbehaved?' asked Gilbert. "'Oh yes, I suppose I shall have to, although I know I'll hate to do it. But you can keep them in at recess or stand them on the floor.' give them lines to write? Suppose you won't punish the girls by making them sit with the boys, said Jane slyly. Gilbert and Anne looked at each other and smiled rather foolishly. Once upon a time, Anne had been made to sit with Gilbert for punishment, and sad and bitter had been the consequences thereof. Well, time will tell which is the best way, said Jane philosophically as they parted. Anne went back to Green Gables by way of birch path, shadowy, rustling, fern-scented, through Violet Vale and past Willowmere, where dark and light kissed each other under the firs, and down through Lover's Lane, spots she and Diana had named so long ago. She walked slowly, enjoying the sweetness of wood and field and the starry summer twilight, and thinking soberly about the new duties she was to take upon the morrow. When she reached the yard at Green Gables, Mrs. Lynde's loud, decided tones floated out through the open kitchen window, Mrs. Lynde has come to give me good advice about tomorrow, thought Anne with a grimace. But I don't believe I'll go in. Her advice is much like pepper, I think. Excellent in small quantities, but rather scorching in her doses. I'll run over and have a chat with Mr. Harrison instead. This was not the first time Anne had run over and chatted with Mr. Harrison since the notable affair of the Jersey cow. She had been there several evenings, and Mr. Harrison and she were very good friends, although there were times and seasons when Anne found the outspokenness on which he prided himself rather trying. Ginger still continued to regard her with suspicion and never failed to greet her sarcastically as red-headed snippet. Mr. Harrison had tried vainly to break him of the habit by jumping excitedly up whenever he saw Anne coming and exclaiming, Bless my soul, here's that pretty little girl again? Or something equally flattering. But Ginger saw through the scheme and scorned it, Anne was never to know how many compliments Mr. Harrison paid her behind her back. He certainly never paid her any to her face. "'Well, I suppose you've been back in the woods, laying a supply of switches for tomorrow,' was his greeting as Anne came up the veranda steps. "'No, indeed,' said Anne indignantly. She was an excellent target for teasing.' "'because she always took things so seriously. "'I shall never have a switch in my school, Mr. Harrison. "'Of course, I shall have a pointer, "'but I shall use it for pointing only.' "'So you mean to strap them instead?' "'Well, I don't know, but you're right. "'A switch stings more at the time, "'but the strap smarts longer, that's a fact. "'I shall not use anything of the sort.' I'm not going to whip my pupils. Bless my soul, exclaimed Mr Harrison, in genuine astonishment. How do you lay out to keep order then? I shall govern by affection, Mr. Harrison. <laughs> it won't do, said Mr Harrison. Won't do at all, Anne. Spare the rod and spoil the child. When I went to school the master whipped me regular, every day, because he said if I wasn't in mischief just then, I was plotting it. Methods have changed since your school days, Mr. Harrison. But human nature hasn't. Mark my words, you'll never manage the young fry unless you keep a rod in pickle for them. The thing is impossible. Well, I'm going to try my way first, said Anne, who had a fairly strong will of her own and was apt to cling very tenaciously to her theories. "'You're pretty stubborn, I reckon,' was Mr. Harrison's way of putting it. "'Well, well, we'll see. "'Someday when you get riled up, "'people with hair like yours are desperate apt to get riled. "'You'll forget all your pretty little notions "'and give some of them a wailing. "'You're too young to be teaching anyhow. "'Far too young.' Childish. Altogether, Anne went to bed that night in a rather pessimistic mood. She slept poorly, and was so pale and tragic at breakfast the next morning that Marilla was alarmed and insisted on making her take a cup of scorching ginger tea. Anne sipped it patiently, although she could not imagine what a good ginger tea would do. Had it been some magic brew, potent to confer age and experience, Anne would have swallowed a quart of it without flinching. Marilla, what if I fail? You'll hardly fail completely in one day. There's plenty more days coming, said Marilla. The trouble with you, Anne, is that you'll expect to teach those children everything reform all their faults right off. And if you can't, you'll think you've failed. Thank you.